Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Mark Daly here welcoming you on board for the first show of 2019. Happy New Year. I hope uh, wherever you are, you had a safe and enjoyable and wonderful holiday and and happy 2019. Wishing you all the best for a successful, prosperous and healthy New Year. I don't know about you guys, but I took almost two weeks off of uh, work. Uh, It's uh, a little bit slower in the profession that I'm in at my nine to five job, and it was a really welcome rest and we went back to work on uh, on Wednesday on January 2nd and I'll be honest with you <laughs> the first couple of days back at the grind has been a little bit difficult I really enjoyed my time off but yes so what comes after January 2nd is January 3rd and wishing a very happy birthday to the one and only seven-time world champion Michael Schumacher and of course Michael uh, still recovering from that horrible injury he suffered five years ago, if you can believe it, skiing. But uh, tributes coming in all over the world from fans and motor racing drivers and um, everybody that knew or admired or watched Michael Schumacher, truly one of a kind. I, I'm not really going to add anything more to the, uh, say, that the top 10 Michael Schumacher moments. I mean, there's plenty of great material out there if you just uh, hop online. I'm going to instead share a, a personal memory, uh, or a couple of them anyways, before we get into the show itself. And I, I must admit that when when Schumacher first burst onto the scene in the uh, in the mid '90s uh, with uh, with Jordan at the Belgian Grand Prix, and then uh, quite quickly was snapped up and moved over to Benetton. I took a long time to warm up to him, to, to be quite uh, quite honest. Uh, several episodes ago, we did, uh, was our five most memorable moments in Formula One. And one of those that I shared was the 1995 season finale uh, between at, uh, at the, the Australian Grand Prix when he collided with Damon Hill and uh, knocked Hill out of the race. And well, knocked both of them out of the race, but uh, he's the one that claimed the, the, the world championship at that time. I was a big Damon Hill fan at the time, and it took me a long time to get over that one on. Honestly, but I did uh, over time really come to appreciate the, the the talent and the dedication and just how Schumacher really helped uh, elevate, raise the bar in, in Formula One, just the professionalism and just the, the amazing talent that, that he really was. And my very first Grand Prix that I went to was at the, the 2001 European Grand Prix held at uh, the, the Nürburgring, and that's way back on the, the 24th of June, 2001, and doesn't seem like a long time ago, but it was. Uh, anyways, uh, it was the ninth race of that uh, that season, and uh, Schumacher was... Um, he, he started on pole, but what really struck me, I mean, obviously, other than the race itself and seeing Formula One up close and personal for the very first time was on the uh, on, on the warm-up lap. Uh, Schumacher's uh, car, I believe it was actually the spare car, actually um, uh, failed on him. And uh, we were sitting in the stands, if you're familiar with the, the, the Nürburgring, we were sitting in the horseshoe-shaped stands at the Dunlop, uh, Dunlop Curve, which is uh, the big hairpin down at the bottom of the track, which is a, a phenomenal place to watch a Formula One uh, race or probably motorsports uh, in general. You watch the cars come down the hill at, uh, at a very high rate of speed. They, they, they slam on their brakes and slow down quite substantially as they go through the, uh, through the hairpin, through the corner. 
and then quite quickly back onto the accelerator as they uh, exit the corner and then take off up the hill into a very fast left-hand corner. But anyways, uh, on the formation lap, uh, Shumi came down, his car failed, and uh, there there was a bit of uh, panic. And of course, this is at the height, you know, 2001 is uh, when uh, they were really getting on a roll, Shumi and uh, and Ferrari. And um, of course, uh, the uh, being in Germany, and uh, regardless if it was the European Grand Prix or not, it was still in Germany. The stands were absolutely packed with uh, German uh, Schumacher and Ferrari fans. There was uh, just literally a sea of red. I mean, the the atmosphere there was uh, absolutely uh, brilliant. It was uh, something uh, I'll never forget. Uh, the, the whole spectacle and the, the whole experience was just uh, amazing. But I think uh, as soon as his car stopped and <laughs> he climbed out of the cockpit, I think 110,000 uh, fans. Uh, got to their feet and and hearts stopped. Anyways, uh, Shumi hopped on the back of a of a scooter and uh, was quickly ferried back to the uh, to the pits where he hopped back into his car and was able to to take the grid and eventually uh, won the uh, the race. Juan Pablo Montoya was second in the Williams and Dave Coulthard finished uh, third in that race in a, in a McLaren. And when was the last time that we could say we saw a Ferrari, uh, a Williams, and a McLaren on the top three steps of the podium? Obviously, we see Ferrari there quite often uh, nowadays, but it seems like a long time ago when we saw Williams and uh, McLaren on the top uh, couple of steps of the podium. Anyways, uh, of the uh, the, the current drivers, um, Lewis Hamilton himself, a five-time world champion, obviously, and now hunting down. Schumacher's got him in the sights. He's got uh, Nishumi leads the way with uh, with 91 career Grand Prix victories and seven world championships. And you just have to uh, wonder how long it's going to be if uh, if and when uh, Lewis will catch and uh, perhaps surpass and uh, become the greatest driver, winningest driver of all time. He's already broken all the uh, the, the records for pole positions that were held by the, the greats like Senna and Schumacher. And uh, well, I mean, <laughs> the, the last five years, have been anything to go by it certainly uh, doesn't seem to be too too much of a stretch of the imagination that uh, that Lewis definitely has a, a very very good uh, chance um, to, uh, to, to to equal Schumacher's uh, records anyways um, uh, Lewis had posted on Instagram uh, and I'll just read it out quickly he said wishing you a happy birthday Michael 50 years of life and a legacy that will last forever what an honor it is to say I have raced with you you've always been a true inspiration to me and the entire world keep fighting champ so there you go uh, nice uh, a very classy uh, social media post by uh, by lewis hamilton and uh, of course we wish uh, schumacher and his family um, all our very best wishes here and hope that uh, that he's recovering well and uh, and uh, of course we hope to, to see him back one day uh, well, well, we'll wait and see if that happens. Anyways, let's uh, get into the show itself now. Uh, well, the, the first thing I want to touch on uh, is uh, an article that was um, on ESPN uh, earlier this uh, this uh, this week, and it's uh, it sort of um, encapsulates a couple of things that uh, or several topics that uh, that we've been uh, uh, talking about the last uh, several weeks. And I believe that uh, that this one was um, uh, done by Nate Saunders, the the F1 associate editor over at uh, ESPN. ESPN. And uh, I, I think it's uh, really good. I mean, he's, he summarized it into about half a dozen uh, points. And I think that, um, well, several of them that we I know we've talked about um, uh, for sure. Anyways, uh, the, the points that he touched on were um, Vettel versus Leclerc, six for Lewis and Mercedes, more overtaking. How competitive will Red Bull be with Honda? Has Ricardo made a terrible mistake? And what if Fernando Alonso McLaren win the Indy 500? Well, when <laughs> Where do you want to start with uh, with all of those? Obviously, I think those are some uh, very, very, um, very, very good points that uh, that he brings up. And uh, well, Vettel versus Leclerc—that's definitely going to be a very, very intriguing and in- interesting uh, battle that we're going to see unfolding. I would think uh, basically right from the the, the beginning of the season, uh, it, it's a it's a transitional year for Ferrari uh, because uh, obviously they they've had a very stable uh, partnership uh, with uh, Vettel and Raikkonen over the past uh, couple of years, and uh, Leclerc, you know, being the 
Well, I wouldn't say, well, I guess he is a, a little bit of the odd, I wouldn't say he's the odd man out. I'd say he's the odd exception in the fact that historically Ferrari has never really uh, gone with the younger drivers. But I mean, Charles has um, acquitted himself very, very well in the, the the limited amount of time that he's been in Formula One. And to make a, a jump from a team like Sauber to one of the biggest teams in the sport and one of the most uh, storied racing marks anywhere in the entire world is uh, it's a big move. And uh, we'll have to wait and see whether or not he can live up to the expectations and live up to the pressure that obviously comes with uh, driving for Ferrari uh, and how he'll be able to challenge uh, Sebastian Vettel. Now, this is also a very uh, interesting year for Sebastian because uh, we talked about um, 2019 being a, a very pivotal, pivotal, excuse me, uh, and a make or break season for Valtteri Bottas over at Mercedes. And I almost wonder if, um, to a certain extent, it might be the same for Sebastian Vettel. I mean, he's uh, obviously had a, a very, very good, good career so far. I mean, uh, he started out with Toro Rosso, of course, went um, to Red Bull, won four world championships uh, over there, which is um, obviously that's a fantastic achievement, and then made the big move uh, to Ferrari to to try and help them reclaim the, uh, the, the, the glory and get back to, to winning championships over there. And well, obviously it hasn't worked out just yet, but the, the interesting thing I think it's going to be the real dynamic between Vettel and uh, and Leclerc is how does Vettel bounce back after 2018? I mean, there was no doubt uh, that uh, he probably should have won the world championship last year. The uh, the, the 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 car, the SF 71H that Ferrari uh, fielded in 2018, certainly was a very good car. Was at least equal to um, to the Mercedes, and well, I think it's a. Uh, a little bit difficult to say which car was uh, better because I think that each one of them were very well suited uh, or were better suited to certain tracks than the other car was at uh, at certain times of the year and that, that certainly showed but obviously Vettel did a lot of things repeatedly that very good racing drivers don't repeatedly do and uh, we saw that so many times we saw it at Baku we saw it at the French Grand Prix we saw it at Monza and just uh, keep on going Japan and every time it seemed there was um, that something could go wrong, uh, it would go wrong. And I'm not specifically talking about the car, but uh, it just seemed that the mental battle, uh, the, the the mental side of the game, that uh, that that was really his Achilles heel last year. So he's really going to have to to, to bounce back from that. And he's got a, a very very competent uh, teammate. Not that Raikkonen wasn't competent, but I think that that Kimi was just that little bit slower than. Uh, Sebastian. I think Sebastian was uh, just naturally has that little bit uh, extra speed when compared to Kimi. And uh, I think that uh, maybe he wasn't really pushed as hard as uh, perhaps he might have been by uh, another driver. Obviously, late in the season, we saw that uh, that, uh, that that situation turn around. We saw um, Raikkonen win uh, the U.S. Grand Prix at, uh, at the, the Circuit of Americas late in the year. And uh, certainly we saw Brazil and some of the other tracks that uh, he was the faster of the two Ferraris, but I think at that point, obviously the uh, the, the season was uh, was over. The uh, I think that uh, mentally, uh, Sebastian Vettel was done at that point. But I kind of go back and think as to what uh, went on at uh, Vettel's last year at Red Bull in uh, in 2014 when uh, he was uh, partnered with uh, Danny Ricardo, and actually I think he finished fifth in the World Championship that year, if uh, if I remember correctly or incorrectly. <laughs> Anyways, uh, he did finish second. To, to Ricardo, who was still a bit of an up-and-comer at the time. Obviously, uh, he's uh, had a very successful career at uh, at Red Bull, but now that uh, he's he's done there and off to Renault. But uh, that year, certainly, he was uh, better than Sebastian Vettel. And uh, so well, it'll be interesting to see if that uh, situation uh, repeats itself between Vettel and Leclerc this year. All right, uh, moving along. So six for Lewis and Mercedes. Sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, I know it's a, maybe a little bit... Uh a little bit too simple just to, to, to maybe uh, distill it down into maybe just a, a couple of um, uh, thoughts here. But 
they really have been uh, an amazing story over the past five years. Mercedes obviously coming into the V6 turbo hybrid era in 2014 were streets ahead of everyone else. Not only did they have the best engines, they had the best drivers, they had the best cars, and it's more or less been that uh, that, that way the uh, every year since. We've seen that gap close, obviously, with, uh, with, uh, with Ferrari. They've been a, a regular and a competitor. And have really challenged them, and of course have uh, won quite a, a number of races themselves. Obviously, no, nowhere quite as many as uh, as the Silver Arrows, but uh, Red Bull too has put uh, put a put uh, their uh, uh, best efforts uh, forward as well, and uh, have uh, managed to win quite a few races between uh, Ricardo and, and and Max Verstappen. But they really are the gold standard in in Formula One, and um, unless things change, it. it how would you bet against them? I'm not certainly not a man brave enough to do it. And uh, certainly they are the, uh, the, the, the benchmark in Formula One. And you would have to think that uh, it's going to be more or less uh, the, the same this year in 2019, that they're going to be the ch- team to beat and the team to chase. So we'll just have to see how they get it right once or, or don't get it right, if that might be the case, once we get to Melbourne in uh, a couple of months. And if uh, I'm not mistaken, today being January 3rd, I did the math and I believe we're seven two days away from the first Grand Prix at <laughs> in Australia. And well, okay, I'm trying to be optimistic, but geez, 72 days, 73 days, whatever it is, it's still a hell of a long time. But I guess it'll be here before uh, we really uh, uh, realize it. And that's uh, usually the case. Okay, more overtaking. And of course, um, this uh, comes down to the, uh, the the regulations that were really pushed through last year. And uh, well, what, what they're doing is that uh, they've made some small but uh, possibly important changes to the cars for this year and uh, they've they're, they've simplified the front wings and made uh, wider deeper w- uh, rear wings which is basically let's just uh, simplify it that uh, these changes that they've made to the wings are to reduce the turbulence uh, airs be- or air behind the cars and uh, hopefully by doing so that the cars will be able to get closer together and thereby setting up more opportunities to uh, to pass one another so whether or not that actually works uh, they did uh, do a bunch of testing and and simulation before that and they kind of really kind of rushed it through uh, I guess it was at about a third of the way through the season there are some agreements and rules that uh, that they can they can do so but uh, they did have uh, input from the teams and uh, everybody seemed uh, fairly positive about it at the time there have been some comments uh, come out since regarding whether or not these uh, these uh, changes will actually make any difference so i guess that the the the, the proof will be in the pudding it uh, it will obviously be told uh, once the the cars get on the track all at the same time and they're actually racing each other in uh, in a real life uh, grand prix rather than in um, computer land in a, in a simulation somewhere and of course uh, testing is uh, just a way for them to, to to shake down the cars and get prepared for the season so we'll have to wait those 72 days <laughs> it's a simple as that i mean melbourne really isn't the best track uh for overtaking that might not be the 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 best indication or who knows perhaps if they they have gotten it right and we see a lot of overtaking at a track that has traditionally been quite dull at times in in terms of uh, overtaking on the track i mean i'm sure a lot of people will uh will go on about uh, the 2018 uh race when uh, sebastian vettel managed to pass uh, lewis hamilton in the in the pits under a virtual safety car to win the race that was uh, obviously a bit of a a black mark and a and, and a bit of a Obviously, a bit of a low point for Formula One. I've never been a, a big fan uh, of uh, cars passing um, another car in the pits uh, for the lead, or you know, get the whole thing with the overcut and the undercut. I always like to see it, you know, two cars on the track and two drivers fighting it out uh, for, for position. But um, out of all of those situations, definitely Vettel passing under the VSC was uh, definitely no bueno. And uh, we'll see. Again, that's uh, another question that's uh, completely open uh, for next year. Anyways, well, the the, the Red Bull uh, things, 
items, Red Bull, will they be competitive with Honda? That's a great question. Uh, obviously, Honda has been a lot more reliable this year, and uh, I think they scored more points uh, with uh, with Toro Rosso in 2018 than they did the, the previous couple of years combined with McLaren. So that was obviously uh, a big step forward, and their reliability was much uh, improved. I believe that last year between Brendan Hartley and uh, Pierre Gasly, that uh, there was only three retirements out of the entire year that were uh, directly attributed to to uh, Honda and their reliability uh, themselves. So obviously big progress. Uh, earlier this year, they were saying that uh, their benchmark for 2019 is to prov- uh, provide them with an engine that was at least uh, give them a season or performance and reliability that was equal to, if not better than, what they were getting from, from Renault this year. So it uh, obviously will be a, a bit of a, a transition year, but uh, the other benefit, of course, is that Red Bull has had uh, a year of data from uh, from having those Honda engines in their junior team, which is Toro Rosso, of course. So they should be well prepared. And uh, how that uh, turns out, uh, well, if you're McLaren, maybe you're hoping uh, maybe it's not going to turn out so great, considering how messy and expensive that uh, divorce from Honda was. But, uh, you know, that, that uh, being a completely different uh, rabbit hole to go down. The, the thing is that I've always uh, said that... Um, Honda's proven it in Formula One in the past. I mean, you go back to the 80s and the 90s. I mean, that uh, McLaren-Honda partnership was uh, something special. And the same with the Williams-Honda in the in the late 1980s. So they've done it before. But I think that they came to the game a little bit too late. And where the other engine manufacturers had uh, several years of uh, development and uh, design and research go into these turbo-hybrid engines, uh, Honda did not and had to accelerate their program. And, and came in obviously well well off the mark compared to to everyone else and they and McLaren suffered for that and uh, whether or not uh, they've caught up now well that's that that's a great question I mean we, we obviously saw some promising moments last year with Toro Rosso so we'll have to see whether or not uh, that continues uh, f- for this year and has Danny Ricardo made a terrible mistake moving to Renault for for next year well, again, that's going to be another wait and see uh, approach. Uh, since uh, Renault took over the Lotus team a couple of years ago and uh, embarked on this uh, short to midterm project, I think they they said they wanted to be a competitive. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, a uh, one of one of the top teams, competitive teams, winning races within five years. So we're we're, we're getting close to that now, and the the steps obviously in the in the first year was they were they were small but again that was really a, a rebranded lotus with uh, with renault livery and uh, it had a renault engine in it and everything like that and we we've seen them improve definitely each and every year and i think uh, 2018 was a, was a bit disappointing i really expected a, a bigger step forward from them uh, last year and uh, they had their moments, but uh, definitely they, they've sort of uh, become uh, obviously not a, a back of the pack team, but they're a middle of the pack team. So whether they can uh, really make that step forward is, uh, well, that's a $64,000 question. I mean, they obviously have the talent, they have the knowledge, they have the experience, they've got the backing. I mean, Renault, um, Nissan is a, is a major car manufacturer and they, they, they have the, the, the means and the opportunity to do it, whether or not the, they can... Um, put all the puzzle pieces into place and actually get it all to line up and actually pull it off? Well, that's another question. And uh, that's sort of dependent, or at least for Danny Ricardo, well, that uh, will really, I guess, uh, be what uh, really seals and answers that question as whether or not has he made a, a terrible mistake. And I don't really blame him for or or fault him for moving uh, from from Red Bull because uh, I think obviously that uh, that 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 is Max. Verstappen's team now. He's the 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 uh, the guy of the future. He's a potential world champion. He's got all the attributes, and he certainly turned his season around in 2018 after starting out and uh, not having a, a very good start, um, struggling through the first half dozen races, and then uh, putting into the wall and qualifying at uh, at Monaco. But after that, uh, he got his head on straight. And uh, starting in Canada, we saw a different Max Verstappen. We saw a more uh, mature, a more patient. Uh, a, a much more complete and um, a, a much better Max Verstappen, and I think obviously that uh, that the, the team is. I- it's 
hard to say whether or not it's built around him, but it's uh, it's definitely a team that's focused on him is uh, perhaps the best way to put it. And uh, even though Ricardo's won more races there at Red Bull uh, compared to Max Verstappen, I think in the long term that uh, that they're hedging their bets to, to go with Max. And uh, I, I think Ricardo may be at uh, just realizing that, wanted to go somewhere else where the, the focus is going to be more on him. And that seems to me to be a, a pretty good um, partnership at Renault with uh, Ricardo and uh, Nico Hulkenberg. And uh, well, who knows? Let's see whether or not uh, they can pull off, pull it off. I mean, uh, Renault is uh, only one, only one of a couple of uh, teams that design and build their own cars and engines. The other two being uh, Ferrari and uh, Mercedes, obviously. So that'll be a, a really interesting situation to watch over the course of uh, the the next year, and if uh, not the next uh, couple of years. And then finally, just um, what we'll close out this discussion with: uh, Alonso McLaren winning the Indy Five Hundred. Well, it would be amazing. I mean, uh, Fernando, great racer, double world champion, has done a lot in Formula One, burnt a lot of bridges in Formula One, stirred up a lot of controversy in Formula One, and left uh, Formula One with um, a lot of unanswered uh, questions and uh, and a lot of what ifs. But he, uh, of course, is on this quest to uh, claim uh, motorsports unofficial triple crown being Monaco, Le Mans and uh, the 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 500 obviously he's won Monaco he's won Le Mans now which he did with Toyota last year so it's it's just the 500 that he needs uh, to win and uh, he went there of course in uh, 2017 did very well got about I don't know, it was well more than three quarters of the way through before um, his uh, his car expired and his engine blew and uh you could tell that uh, as much as he enjoyed that experience, uh, that, uh, that that was an opportunity missed. Because I mean, he was uh, he was definitely in the mix to uh, of the the guys that had a shot to win it that year. But uh, the, the the big question, of course, is well. <laughs> As cool as it is to see McLaren and uh, Alonso at the Indy Five Hundred next year, the, the the big question is: Are they? Are they really spreading their attention away from where it needs to be? I mean, obviously, they've really struggled in Formula One. And I think the the interesting thing is, and uh, there were a couple of uh, stories that uh, and, and opinion pieces that have been floating around uh, the the last ten days, two weeks or so, that have um, that have addressed this topic, and we've talked about it too in the past uh, over the past year or so, is that uh, since they switched from uh, Honda to Renault, that uh, it just exposed the the fact that the the car that they had last year just was not uh, as good as they'd been saying it was, because uh, when they were having all those problems uh, with uh, with Honda. They kept saying, well, you know, it's, it's the car. We've got one of the best chassis, one of the best cars on the entire grid. And it's all Honda. It's not us. And then, you know, lo and behold, they switched to Renault. And honestly, there wasn't really that much of a change. And uh, after they uh, ran the first several races, and they got to, to Spain when uh, you usually see the first round of upgrades be applied, uh, you know, brought in and introduced by all the teams to the cars. The uh, the uh, upgrade that uh, McLaren introduced really didn't uh, do a lot and really didn't make that much of, of a difference to their season. So, uh, like I say, it's great to see whether or not it's going to be too much of a distraction. Probably not. I mean, the, the indie operation is obviously going to be separate from, from Formula One. And uh, who knows? On the flip side, if they can pull it off, maybe it's that, uh, that motivation, maybe that inspiration that they need to really um, uh, tend to get back on top and, and, and win again. And uh, Zach Brown, the CEO, uh, the, the, the big head honcho over at McLaren, he said uh, that they want to be targeting championships uh, within uh, the, the next five years. And he's really convinced that uh, the team is really on the, the 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 real or on the right uh, path to get back at the front of the, um, the the grid, but he's not really making too many commitments about what um, they're going to um, what they're setting in terms of goals and achievements and in um, results for the coming year. But you know, honestly, I, I think even though it's a very it, it's a big organization at uh, at uh, at McLaren, and they've been in a little bit of a no man's land and regressing over the past several seasons. I mean, that's that's just that's just fact. I mean, uh, it's been uh, tough to watch and and sad to see another one of these uh, great Formula One teams uh, struggling like they have. But 
If anything, I feel a little bit more confident if uh, if I'm a fan of McLaren with the with Zach Brown at the helm there. I, I just kind of kind of get the feeling he's one of these guys that um, that knows and and is able to get the uh, get the job done. He certainly has his uh, work uh, cut out for them, and it's it's going to be I think an interesting situation for them. Uh, I mean, they've uh, completely changed things up again. They got new drivers uh, for for next year, and uh, well, <laughs> that's not necessarily a, a bad thing, but. But there, there definitely is more pressure on McLaren to uh, design and build a good car next year because uh, we know that uh, the the Renault is a decent engine uh, because uh, we we saw uh, Red Bull last year winning the races uh, several times and won especially the Mexican Grand Prix where they won a race where I don't think anybody expected them to do so. I mean that that Renault engine had lots of power compared to the uh, the, the Ferrari and the Mercedes. At uh, in in the thin uh, rarefied or the thinner atmosphere of uh, of Mexico City, and uh, they they were dominant. So we know in certain uh, circumstances and certain situations that Renault engine is going to have lots of power. Whether or not they can uh, they they can get more power and close the gap to to Mercedes and McLaren, and uh, and, and uh, have that uh, that power and that competitive edge each and every race. That's obviously their goal, but uh, that that's obviously what uh, puts the, uh, the 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 pressure on uh, McLaren as well and obviously on Renault uh, too but uh, five years that seems like a a bit of a lofty goal but again you know five years in Formula One is a very very long time and when you think about it under these current set of regulations we're going into 2019 and 2020 and then of course everything is going to change in 2021 and uh that, of course, is uh, still hasn't been completely finalized. Uh, Chase Carey and uh, the the, uh, uh, the the uh, the the top guy over at Liberty Media, the owners of Formula One, met with all the uh, the respective teams after the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix back in November. There seems to be a, a fair amount of positivity, um, at least what you've heard uh, publicly, that uh, there, there is some optimism in the the direction that they want to go, and uh, well. We'll wait and see what uh, those changes are and how that uh, how they manage to push those through because that's going to be another difficult thing. And that was also a, another point uh, that uh, that uh, Brown had actually made uh, was uh, whether or not uh, they're able to to really push through these uh, these changes. And uh, well, Formula One is so political, and uh, there are so many vested uh, interests. And uh, <laughs> well, are they going to be able to get all these changes through? And how much of a struggle is going to be? That will unfold uh, over time. Okay, well, sorry about this, guys. I know I'm kind of jumping around a, a little bit here, but first show of the year, and there has uh, been quite a bit of uh, news that's kind of popped up uh, over the past uh, couple of um, couple of weeks. So uh, my notes kind of uh, <laughs> reflect that. I'm uh, I'm afraid. So uh, just um, I, I want to just uh, talk again briefly about. Uh, we'll we'll stay on the uh, on the on the on the Honda theme that we've been talking about, and uh, there, it's been uh, interesting as well that um, over the past uh, couple of um uh well uh, last year the uh, there there was uh, quite a number of the formula 1 teams expressed i guess uh their surprise in the fact that uh, the Toro Rosso had decided to go and choose uh, the, the the rival Honda engines and the the words that uh, that they used that uh, that they were quote totally crazy and uh, i guess it looked like it at the time uh, way back at the end of 2017 when it was getting pretty messy obviously with uh, McLaren and Honda and uh, well, I, I think Bernie Ecclestone really wanted to keep them in, and uh, there there was a real push to keep them in the sport. So there was that whole complicated deal, and the way that the uh, Renault engines went to to, to McLaren, and uh, Sainz went from Toro Rosso to uh, Renault uh, for for a loan, and all these different things going on. But sure, they they certainly um, they did take a, a risk in doing it, but uh, I, I think obviously it has uh, worked out, especially. Actually, well, I think it's uh, it's at least to put uh, uh, Red Bull in a very good uh, position because they were able to evaluate the uh, the engine data from both uh, the the Honda engines in their in their junior team at Toro Rosso and the Renault engines in their own cars at uh, Red Bull Racing and really compare them apples and apples and oranges and oranges and obviously they decided that they were apples and oranges to make this a little bit confusing and uh, they they figured that uh, the, the Honda engine has uh, more potential so. I think obviously that, uh, well, at least in my mind, that uh, when uh, Toro Rosso ended up with the, with the, the Honda engines, to me, that seemed like 
at the time, I thought it was interesting. It, uh, I, th- I think, maybe even Sauber at that point uh, was uh, was mentioned in that uh, that conversation that uh, that there, there was some interest there, or maybe some desire or some suggestion that uh, that they could end up uh, powering uh, Sauber for 2018. Obviously, that uh, that didn't uh, didn't happen, and they stuck with uh, Ferrari engines. Fortunately for them, they had uh, engines that uh, were the current spec rather than uh, a previous year's spec, as they they had the year before, but. Uh, for me, just to go back to Toro, so that wasn't uh, as a big of an eye opener that uh, they decided to choose Honda as it uh, was when uh, when Ro- Red Bull decided to, and they really took their time. I mean, uh, Renault had set um, a deadline; I think it was uh, roughly around the Canadian Grand Prix, so that would have been back late spring, early summer last year, somewhere in June, I think it was. And uh, Red Bull, I think, went past that uh, that that deadline, um, and I think they kind of made their announcement somewhere at the end. June, maybe into the beginning of uh, July, but uh, it seems that they've they've really uh, taken their time and uh, they've uh, really did all their homework before uh, making that uh, that uh, decision. And also um, to sticking at Toro, so um, McLaren bound James Key, who was the technical dir- director at uh, at Toro, so he won't be replaced. Uh, there's going to be more. <clears throat> excuse me, of uh, cooperation between Red Bull Racing and Toro Rosso. There'll be more use of uh, common parts. And of course, that gets into the uh, that whole debate that we've seen over the past couple of years uh, as to whether or not uh, that the Haas is a, a clone of the Ferrari and the whole thing about the standardized parts and how many unique parts have to be uh, designed and built by by each team. But anyways, uh, there, there's going to be more, um, I guess, a synergy, more cooperation between the two Red Bull teams and therefore... Um, uh, uh, key will not be replaced at uh, at Toro Rosso, and uh, this was a bit of a <laughs> a real uh, mind boggler, and just uh, again a reminder of a a bit of the craziness of uh, of uh, Formula One. But between uh, Pierre Gasly and uh, and Brendan Hartley, uh, Toro Rosso spent over two million euros. Uh, Almost didn't get it out there, but they spent almost two million euros in crash damage in in 2018, and that is just absolutely <laughs> a phenomenal sum when you think about it. I mean, uh, there was a number of crashes uh, between them, and uh, there was well, one was uh, the heavy crash between Gasly and uh, and Roman Grosjean at Barcelona, which was. Obviously, Grosjean's fault when he lost the car and then uh, decided to just, uh, well, I don't know what he decided to do. Anyways, he just put the power down and just made a big smoke screen and collected, uh, well, not just Gazi, he got uh, Nico Hulkenberg in the Renault, and I think one other car was involved in it as well. So there was that. There was the big crash between Lance Stroll and Hartley at the opening lap at, uh, at Montreal, and then um, Hartley had a massive crash in uh, free practice at, uh, at the British Grand Prix. So all those, uh, all those things add up and that is just, to me, that is just a, an absolutely phenomenal and mind blowing, uh, amount of money. All right. Well, just, uh, talking about, uh, at the 2019 rules again, we were talking a little bit earlier, just about the, the redesigned simplified front, uh, front wings and the bigger and wider, deeper rear wings, um, are going to be the, the, the focus of the rules and, uh, Patty Lowe, the, um, the, the chief technical officer at, uh, at Williams, he believes that, uh, that the rules will be a little bit more black and white and less of an opportunity for teams to exploit, uh, loopholes and gray areas specifically, like we saw way back in 2009 which is amazing to think about it uh was the the one and only year of uh the uh, uh braun grand prix and of course they, they were the ones that really pioneered that double diffuser and of course they they use that uh, to a a very very uh big advantage especially the opening part of that season uh, i think they really caught everybody off uh, off guard and uh, toyota and williams they they deployed the same system as well and uh but you know 10 years on uh, patty low feels that uh, it's unlikely there will be uh, a, a similar repeat of the uh, of the rules and the, uh, the 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 technical specifications for for formula 1 whether or not uh, that that is true and whether or not it leads to more overtaking, we'll find out in a couple of months, obviously. And sticking with Williams, they reached what they called the, the quote, bottom of the trench in, uh, in 2018. 
And well, we talked a little bit earlier about how much uh, McLaren has regressed in um, over the past several seasons. I can't believe, and I I apologize for this. I think I've said this each and every week. Uh, but as uh, somebody that drew, grew up with the dominance of uh, of Williams with uh, with uh, Honda engines and then Renaults and, uh, and then even enjoyed success even in the early two thousands with the with the BMW. It's it's just amazing to me how far they've fallen in a very, very, relatively very, very short period of time. I mean, if you go back even just a couple of years, I mean, they were, they, they were I guess you could say they had a legitimate shout to be one of the best of the rest teams. I mean, uh, when, when they came into the the turbo hybrid era, they were doing pretty good. I mean, they had a good uh, a pairing of drivers with uh, Felipe Massa and Valtteri Bottas. They had a good car, but the car that they designed for this uh, past season, the FW41, was just too technically and radically different uh, than than everyone else, and they paid for it uh, big time. I mean, they were just um, they were embarrassing at times for a team that has the resources and the pedigree and the experience that they have, and over four decades in Formula One to to see them struggle and finish tenth, which is dead last in the constructors, is a uh, is just it's really really sad. I mean, there there's no other way to put it uh, other than the fact that uh, that was a disastrous season for them. I mean, they they had a, a fundamentally flawed car, and I think it was difficult uh, for the two uh, youngsters they had driving it, Lance Stroll and Sergey Sorotkin. I think they got seven points uh, between them, but uh, more than that, obviously the car that um, did not perform as they 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 wanted and did not uh, live up to uh, expectations. And again, this is, I guess, a limited criticism of those two guys. But when when you have limited experience in Formula One, uh, when you do with uh, two very young drivers like that, both in their early 20s, and you have a car that is so fundamentally different and a, and a, and a big departure in your uh, previous ethos and your, your design principles. And uh, you, how are you really going to get that car really dialed in and get the feedback from, from guys that, that might be good, talented racing drivers, but just don't have the, uh, the experience in Formula One to maybe give the engineers the, 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 the most well, I guess what's the best way to to, to put it, the, the most uh, accurate feedback of uh, what the car is actually doing and what they can do to, to maybe uh, improve upon it. But they, I think they've got to do, uh, and I'm sure they are, doing a lot of uh, soul searching and internal examination and, and hopefully put the, uh, the, the situation right because it is just not a good thing to see when you, when you look at all the amount of, uh, championships that they've won as, uh, you know, both in the drivers and constructors championships, uh, over the decades to see them languishing at the back and being off of the pace by a huge margin at times, like we saw last year is just, um, a, a terrible look for them. And, uh, it's going to be, uh, something, uh, well, I don't know how long they can. Uh, it's going to take for them to turn it around. I mean, if uh, McLaren and Zach Brown are saying that uh, they're targeting five years uh, before they're competitive again, so say twenty twenty three, twenty twenty four, somewhere in that uh, in that time frame, that seems like a, a long way down the road to me, especially in the in the world of Formula One. So, whatever uh, Williams is uh, going to do, they certainly have their uh, their their work uh, cut out for them. And uh, talking about um, uh, looking down the, the the road into the future, Formula One actually wants to get rid of grid penalties, which twenty for twenty twenty one, which I think is actually a uh, an excellent uh, idea. Uh, I I know that they were put into place to really penalize teams and kind of really use it as a um, a deterrent um, and, and a motivating factor, if you want to call it that, uh, uh, when it comes to uh, things like engines and gearboxes and uh, replacing expensive parts and. and things like that but when you saw some of the um the mushrooming grid penalties and you look at some of the ridiculous uh grid penalties that you see something like 50 grid places in, in some cases uh, that, that we saw over the past couple of years when you have to switch out this component or that component in a gearbox and or a complete new engine or an mguh or an mguk whatever it might be it uh it just got a little bit silly when there's only 20 cars or 22 cars on the grid like what's the point of giving a guy a 50 grid place penalty. I mean, he doesn't even actually have to get into the car to go qualifying because, you know, he's just not going <laughs> to get any further up. I mean, he's still going to be dead last. So they 
they're they're looking at some uh, different uh, alternatives, which uh, you know it could affect uh, their their free practice running. They're looking about adding ballast to the car, making it uh, heavier, and all these things just to increase the lap time and maybe penalize them uh, that way rather than just um, just tagging on this ridiculously huge uh, grid penalty and just uh, sending somebody to the, uh, the, the 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 back of the grid. So if they can um, they can do that and increase the lap times and lower the, uh, the the grid position through other ways then hey I'm all for it you know disable the DRS wh- whatever it might be uh, I think that uh, that that's a, a better alternative so uh, I'll be I look forward to see what they're going to come up to and again I think this also goes back to what uh, we were talking about a little bit earlier about um, that uh, that Zach Brown from McLaren was saying that uh, that uh, Formula One has to ignore what he calls the pushback and fix the uh, the, the the broken model and um, certainly there will be uh, there will be resistance uh, from from teams especially when it comes to uh, I, I think obviously the redistribution of the wealth and the the, the proposed uh, budget cap and things like that um, but of course I guess if uh, you know <laughs> you're one of the big teams and you're used to uh, winning all that uh, you know that prize money and then of course uh, Ferrari gets that what is that that historical constructor something like that some special payment I mean obviously they've been there basically right from the the, the very beginning and of course, their their position within Formula One is unique, but still, they're they're pulling in a lot of money in general as a sport, and there's got to be a, a way to distribute it fairly among all the teams um, that that everybody is uh, is getting a fair piece of the pie, regardless if you're McLaren, sorry, Mercedes and Ferrari at the top, or if you're one of the smaller teams like a, a Sauber or Force India somewhere down at um, at the bottom. And by all means, if uh, you know Ferrari can negotiate some. Something where they're they're unique and their historical position in Formula One is uh, is recognized, and they get uh, a golden handshake, as it were, as a, as recognition in the form of money. Then, sure, more power to them. I guess it goes back to uh, that old saying that uh, you know, when it comes to looking for a job, it's not what you're worth; it's what you negotiate. And I guess Formula One really isn't uh, all that much uh, uh, much uh, different. All right. Well, uh, let's kind of bring it back a, a little bit to, to what we were talking about uh, earlier. And this was uh, interesting, too. Uh, this uh, kind of goes back to uh, what we were talking about off the top of the show about uh, the, the the matchup between Charles Leclerc and uh, Sebastian Vettel for uh, 2019. And former uh, Ferrari test driver Luciano Berti believes that uh, Ferrari didn't do enough to really help uh, ease the pressure and, and get Sebastian back into some good headspace uh, last year. I mean, um, I, I think that uh, just going back and looking at it, it's. Uh, I don't think you need to be a, a psychologist or <laughs> or anybody uh, like that to, to really. Uh, I think it's it's a pretty fair observation to say that the the pressure got to him and he cracked and uh, the the, uh, the the. I don't know what it is the the pressure of trying to beat Lewis or the pressure of being at Ferrari the the, the pressure of all of the above is uh, really what got to them, uh, but uh, it was um, well you know there were so many incidents uh, like I say, but. Uh, that that's that's one of those things, right? Uh, I, I think when it comes down to uh, professional sports of um, of any kind, is just uh, if you're a coach or a manager or a team principal of a Formula One team, how do you manage these um, these athletes, these drivers, these these people you have uh, going out there and and doing the hard work, like on the field of play, on the track? How do you manage those people, and and how do you get them focused when they, when they're down, and and how do you keep them from getting too pumped up when, when things are going good and, and, and really balancing uh, them out. And that, that psychological part of uh, professionals, well, all sports, but especially uh, top level and uh, and elite level sports like Formula One, I've always found that that mental aspect of it, uh, you know, quite, uh, quite fascinating. I mean, uh, you can kind of go back to what we were talking about, uh, Michael Schumacher. I mean, he was one of those guys too, that uh, just always seemed like he was completely flawless and, uh, and, uh, and Lewis Hamilton's like, one of those guys too. And it just seems that if you were going to be one of these guys that are trying to uh, compete and try and beat a Lewis Hamilton or a Senna or Schumacher, 
I mean, though <laughs> you're going up against the alpha dogs there. You're going up against the big boys. And uh, uh, well, Nico Rosberg even talked about just the the how much pressure he was under. And uh, you know, once uh, you let Lewis Hamilton get inside of your head, or you think you've let him inside your head, like once you start uh, losing that that mental battle with uh, with a guy like Lewis Hamilton, then uh, then then you're really doomed. But um, definitely, I, I think that Bertie really puts out uh, you know throws out an interesting question there. And uh, could Ferrari have done more to help uh, Sebastian Vettel? Because when you kind of look back at uh, at all these different things, you you can take Baku out of the equation. You can take that first lap incident at uh, at uh, at the French Grand Prix between Vettel and Bottas at that uh, at the first corner where they they both tangled and he ended up getting the. Uh, the, the the time penalty as well. So I mean you can take like those isolated incidents out here and there because those things are going to going to happen along the way too. I mean would you uh, if you're Lewis Hamilton would you've expected your car uh to fail when you know, your uh, you know your your team's leading 1-2 at the uh, the Austrian Grand Prix and then you have a double DNF. I mean the, these things things are going to happen from from time to time but uh, it was really I think at the German Grand Prix when uh, Vettel was was out there leading by a quite a substantial margin and then uh, we got some uh, spotty rain later in the race and then he, he put it off uh, into the gravel in the stadium section and there really I think was the, the start of the real slide they weren't uh, competitive they couldn't uh, uh, keep up and get around uh, Botas at the Hungarian Grand Prix the next week before the summer break and well it's it really was a uh, a bit of a flash in the pan because after they had the, the the summer break they came back and Vettel had a great race they were I thought Ferrari looked phenomenal at uh, at Spa at the Belgian Grand Prix at the uh, the end of August and I kind of thought well you know they they kind of had a couple of hiccups here just going into the summer break but maybe this is when we uh, we see Ferrari turn it around and really ratchet up the pressure and really make a push uh, to win uh, win a championship this year. And then, of course, you get to uh, Monza a couple of weeks later, and there's that bit of uh, that, uh, I don't know, tactical blunder that they made where uh, Raikkonen actually got the the, the faster time and sneaks the pole uh, away from uh, Sebastian Vettel and then Vettel. Uh, tangling with Lewis on the the opening lap, and that that for me was really the um, where it all really started to come apart at the seams there. And then, well, just take your pick <laughs> from there. It really kind of added on, and uh, kind of went from from bad to worse uh, there on out. Anyways, well, let's see. Do we have anything else, or are we getting pretty pretty close uh, to the end? Well. I think that's a, a pretty good place uh, to, to leave it uh, from, for this week. I actually hadn't realized that uh, there was so much uh, stuff to, to talk about. And as I, I look here on my laptop, I see that we're already coming up on, on 50 minutes. So that seems like a, a very good place uh, to leave it for now. And again, thank you for, for sticking with us. Uh, the, the show is uh, doing well. It's growing each and every month. Uh, we're uh, growing so much, in fact, that... Um, well, the numbers are staying the same, but uh, in terms of listens and downloads. But uh, to me, if uh, the, the the numbers are the same in around Christmas and New Year's as they are uh, during the year when the Formula One is racing, then that uh, just uh, means that uh, that that listenership is up, and that uh, some people have uh, taken some time off, and hopefully will return once Formula One gets uh, serious again in a, in a in a couple of months, once the testing starts, and of course the season starts. So again, thank you all very much uh, for your support. Look forward to. Uh, covering the season again which will be our fourth season i think we're coming up on our hundredth episode uh somewhere in the next couple of weeks so that's uh, very exciting and uh, of course if you want to get in touch with me or with uh, with kevin uh send us a tweet at scuderia f1 pod follow us on uh or follow our facebook page and that's facebook.com slash scuderia f1 pod and uh, you can also send us an email if you're into that scuderia f1 pod at gmail.com and that's it that's a wrap thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you again and talk to you guys next week Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us, SportsPodcastingNetwork.com. Sports 
space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from?